The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real tech advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. So when people think of social impact, they think of nonprofits, but you can be a for-profit business that pays it forward. Just ask Kelly Brigstone-Roth. As the co-founder of The Nopo, she's building a business that delivers handmade wares from around the world to your door and supports artisans in the process. I'm so excited to chat with Kelly about how she launched a global e-commerce business in the midst of a pandemic that's stressed by supply chains around the world. And we're going to dive into how she identifies the artisan she works with, what it takes to really set up and maintain an ethical fair trade standard business, and why a for-profit business model was right for the Nopo. So let's get right into it. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Jacqueline. I'm so happy to be part of the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So your business is super impressive and inspiring. I've had the chance to get a few products from the Nopo and they're absolutely stunning. But for people who aren't familiar with what the Nopo is, can you talk us through what the platform is and what compelled you to launch it? Of course. I think probably the best way of explaining it in terms of the customer's point of view is that the Nopo is a curated and managed marketplace that connects online shoppers to the most exceptional artisans, around the world and all the most exciting destinations we just dream of going to. But really, if you look at it through the perspective of the artisans themselves, what we are is a platform that provides an end-to-end solution that enables them to truly participate in international e-commerce. So we're basically removing all the barriers that are preventing them from participating in international e-commerce today. Um, and in terms of what compelled us to do it, I mean, it really started out by the idea of building something that would do good and do well, trying to find something that really has that positive impact on the world, making the world a little bit more beautiful. Um, and it started out because Shani and I have traveled all around the world, um, both in our professional lives and our private lives. And the thing that both of us love more than anything else is really kind of getting lost in the streets and the different places that we visit and finding those little galleries and those little studios and bringing home some of those really unique products that you can only find somehow when you get lost, right? Um, and then when we got back home, we were trying to access these artisans and it was so frustrating. It was so difficult to do. And we just started thinking, you know, why is this happening in this day and age with all the technology and all the logistical solutions that are out there? Why aren't the dots connecting? And that made us start to explore deeper, deeper into this industry and what's happening there. Amazing. And when people think of social impact, they think of nonprofits, but you can be a for-profit business that pays it forward as well. You know, it's built into the mission of what you guys are doing. So how did you decide the for-profit model was the best option for the NOPO? I think, you know, for many years, it was very clear to me that when you want to help someone, you want to bring them a fishing rod and not the fish. If you know, if you know what I mean, you want to create tools that will allow them to really grow and be independent. And that was the idea. I think, you know, for-profit NGOs are getting better at this because I think they understand how important that they're, you know, how 
their viability, their sustainability is dependent on this. But I think when you are a for a non-for-profit organization, you're in danger of building an organization or a mechanism that is not going to really allow these people to grow in their own right. You're giving them fish instead of fishing rods. I mean, I love that saying. It's so genius. It's like give people the tools they need to survive and build and grow versus just handing it over, which I think is it's really wonderful. So you currently work with artisans from Morocco and Mexico and you're launching Colombia and Israel later this year. How do you choose which countries to expand to? So actually we're launching Colombia this week. So that's super exciting for us. It's a really great question. I mean, there are a few different factors that we look into. So the first thing when we just started out was looking at trends. What are people looking for? Customers in the United States what are the types of products that they're interested in? Um, so that was really important. We didn't want to have to necessarily educate the market from the very beginning. We wanted to kind of, you know, supply the demand that was already out there. The second thing that we look at more like, I would say like diplomatic or regulatory issues. So what countries have fair trade agreements with the United States would just simplify the whole process. And then lastly, there's opportunity. So just an example for Colombia, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to get to Colombia because they have amazing, amazing, amazing crafts. But, you know, we had met someone in school with us. We went to the executive MBA program, Shani and I together, and we made a really good friend who's from Colombia. And he really opened up his whole personal network for us. And that's something that really helped. And I would say like, don't shy away from opportunities. If people open doors for you, you know, make sure that you you use them. Um, And then lastly, there's really the question of quality versus quantity of supply. So Morocco, for instance, which was our first country, it's a small country. They still have 400,000 registered artisans, but that's considered small compared to Mexico, for instance, with its 10 million artisans. But Morocco is really doing a good job in preserving and maintaining their craft industry, the authenticity of their craft industry. So the, the, the king in Morocco um, had made several rules that made it very difficult to import any products from China in the craft industry. So really preserving the authentic uh, local uh, craft industry and building this company from remote really meant that we had to be able to trust um, the supply base and make sure that we are getting to the most, the highest quality of, of products. So that is another question that we always ask ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, I guess once you've selected the country, how do you identify the artisans that you want to work with? You you mentioned a registration process or like that there's a registered uh, database, which is amazing. But, you know, how are you sort of hand selecting these people? There are two channels. One is active outreach on our side, which is mostly going on on social media. And then the second is through the community itself, which is amazing because it's becoming our best and, and most prominent channel, which means that our artisans are constantly referring us to other artisans that they really look up to like. And so when they do that, they first and they, they expedite the process of sourcing, but even more importantly, they're this really important filter because these artisans is so important for them who they are associated with because they're passionate about their work and they want to make sure that the other artisans on the platform are just as aligned as they are with, you know, values and standards of quality. So when they refer to someone, we know that that it's like a hundred percent, almost like someone who's going to be end up live on the platform. Um, so those are the two main things, but I have to say, I mean, it was very difficult. The very first artisan, it took us more than two weeks um, to find, we were looking 24 seven. So obviously we started out with, you know, regular search engines that brought us to nothing. And then we started working on social media. We really had to scour through thousands of accounts. But once we found that first artisan, then the network effect really started taking shape from the very first day because he introduced us to another two artisans. They introduced us to another four and slowly we're reaching more and more clusters throughout the country. 
Yeah, it's always getting that one big fish and then having them. I mean, a lot of fish metaphors <laughs> happening in this podcast, but like it's about getting the one big fish and then really seeing the results from there and, and having the word of mouth kind of carry. One thing that I love about your business is you're committed to paying artisans fairly, but you're also a for-profit business. So how does this work? How do you come up with the price points for the products you carry? And the thing I love about the Nopo is like, it's very accessible price points. You know, it, it doesn't feel like you have to go buy this $2 million antique online. That's, you know, it feels extremely accessible, both high and low, which I always think is a great mix. So I think there was one article that we read when really started out. It's by Bill Gurley. And I really recommend that for anybody who's building a marketplace or talks, uh, it's called a rake too far, if I'm not mistaken. And he basically talks about the optimal pricing strategy for marketplaces. And it's, it's a pretty you know complex idea, but to really oversimplify it, he basically says, you know, you have to make sure that you're asking or your take rate really reflects the value that you're creating. Because if you're going to be asking for too much, then someone else is going to come into that, you know, into that space and offer the same services for lower prices. And you're going to lose all your supplies, suppliers. And then on the customer side, of course, the, the end price is going to be too high and you're going to lose all your customers. And so that was something that was very clear to us in the beginning. We want to ask for the exact amount of money that's really going to reflect the value that we're creating. And of course, it will allow us to be a sustainable business. And we actually start out with a much lower transaction fee, um, significantly lower. And I still remember there was this day that Shani and I realized we can't continue this way. I mean, this company is not going to last if we continue with this. And we literally had to double our take rate. And we had to go back to the artisans working for you know, over six months and say, well, listen, well, actually we need to take much more. And that obviously affects them. It was a really hard call for me to do because I just felt like, oh, I'm, I'm betraying them. They might feel like, you know, we weren't being truthful for them. And the truth is that they really um, accepted it really nicely. And I think the first validation that we had was when one of our vendors who actually does have experience with international e-commerce and does have international customers started referring all of his international clients to our platform instead of sending, selling through his own platform, even though and our platform was closer to wholesale prices and then his platform was closer to retail prices. And that was the moment where I really understood we are creating so much value uh, for them. You know, it wasn't that we're just, you know, he doesn't not going to have to put a person on the job of managing all the logistics and customer support um, in terms of refunds or returned goods. He's not going to have to manage all of that. So we're really de-riskifying everything for them. We're creating so much great content for these artisans. So all of that is really the value that we're creating. So I think, again, it was something that we built in a very transparent way together with the artisans. We're really creating value and just that, and exactly that. We're not being greedy in any way. As a self-proclaimed morning person, I love so many things about the early hours of the morning, from catching sunrise to setting intention. Those few dedicated hours of quiet time can really fuel the rest of my day. One piece of my routine that I never go without though is my morning cup of coffee. The ritual of waking up, choosing the blend that fits my mood, and brewing a cozy cup of coffee consistently brings me into the headspace I need to start my day on a good note. Keurig just launched a brand new brewer called K-Supreme Plus Smart, and let me just tell you, it has overhauled my morning routine entirely in the best possible way. For starters, its brew ID technology was designed to recognize the exact roast you choose. So it essentially adjusts each brew setting to the recommendation of the coffee roaster who created it. Plus, you can fine tune your cup to be even more to your liking by choosing from five strengths, six temperatures, and five cup size settings. 
Every evening, I take a moment to decide what kind of coffee I want to kickstart the following morning. I schedule it to brew straight from my phone, walk cozied up in bed, talk about convenient. And this morning, I had a warm, delicious, strong cup of coffee ready for me as I headed out to my patio for a morning read. You don't have to leave the house every day to get a cup of coffee brewed exactly how you want. Now I have more time to focus on intentions and self-care in the morning without worrying about what my coffee might taste like. The K-Supreme Plus Smart was designed to match your routine exactly as you envisioned it. Take it from me, scheduling my coffee has become a natural habit every single night and my morning routine is seamlessly better every day because of it. If you too like a relaxing and reflective morning, I definitely suggest getting yourself a Keurig K-Supreme Plus Smart Brewer. Your morning is unique and tailored to your needs, so why should you have your coffee be any different? If you want to try it out for yourself, the Keurig K-Supreme Plus Smart Brewer is available at Keurig.com. That's K-E-U-R-I-G.com and all major retailers. I'm Amanda Lippman. I run an organization called Run For Something. I wrote a book called Run For Something. And now I host this show also called Run For Something. My mission is simple. Find people who care about solving problems and help them run for office. Every Tuesday, I'll talk with amazing and incredible candidates and elected officials who are already making a difference. They're in local offices that might seem small and not so sexy, but are actually hugely important for your day-to-day life. Fixing our broken system will take all of us and people like you. Listen in every Tuesday. Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. For those of people who are listening who maybe don't understand like the ins and outs of e-commerce, can you explain what a take rate is? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so a take rate is basically um, the amount of money that the company takes per transaction. Um, and there are different ways of, of doing this. In, in our case, so we basically have the artisans price their products. So we, we don't get involved at all in their pricing and making sure in that way that they're getting what they actually want to get. Um, if we feel like maybe they're asking for too low, then we'll show them benchmarks and say, you know, you could probably ask for more. So we're also educating them as well um, and making sure that they're getting fair prices for, for the value that they're creating. Um, in certain cases, if they ha- are selling on their own platform, then we will use that as a benchmark. And if the end price on our platform is higher, we will say, well, you know what, maybe this product shouldn't be on our platform because we have to make sure that it's, it is the same on both platforms. Totally makes sense. And obviously there's been so much chatter about supply chain issues. So have you guys run into any of the supply chain issues that some of the larger manufacturers are dealing with? Obviously you're dealing with artisans. So, um, you know, supplies, all these different things, and this is all over the world for you guys. So have you run into any issues there? Absolutely. You know, a lot of our artisans, they're sourcing their materials from local villages. And many times during this last year and a half, they were in lockdown. So they literally couldn't go and get the supply. Um, And so what we had to do is, first of all, extend our delivery time. And we had to put many of the products in a, uh, give them a lead time. So basically telling our customers, if you want this really beautiful and unique piece, the artisan is going to have to create it specifically for you. He's going to have to wait to get the products or the raw materials. And that could take, you know, it could take a week. It could take another two weeks. So every product has its own lead time. So I would say that most of our products are today like in stock, but then there's quite a lot that are still like made to order. That was the main change. Yeah. And you launched the Nova in March 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. What were the challenges that the pandemic posed for the business? Was the plan to always launch in March 2020? What role did the pandemic play in the business, if any? Yeah. So actually, we incorporated March 17th. And I remember that date very well, because in the morning we were at the lawyer's office, you know, signing all the paperwork. And then in the evening, our prime minister uh, came out and said that Israel is going to complete lockdown. Um, So it was... 
I mean, first of all, we had to completely, you know, change our plans from scratch and ask ourselves if this idea is even viable. The whole world was changing. Um, Shani and I had a plan to travel to Morocco, get a guide, you know, knock on some people's doors, talk to the artisans. And all of a sudden we had to find a different way of doing this. It ended up being a blessing in disguise for our company because it forced us to create a model that we can manage remotely. Um, which is obviously much more scalable. You know, even like in terms of our logistics, we built a model that really didn't exist before, which was very lean and very flexible. And that was something that probably wouldn't have happened or wouldn't have happened as quickly if we didn't have the pandemic. But in terms of challenges, I mean, Shani and I, we couldn't even meet face-to-face for about three months in the beginning. So everything was on Zoom. We had to teach the artisans, you know, that it's okay to communicate over Zoom. And most of them haven't even, didn't even hear about Zoom before the pandemic. My three young daughters, who were at the time two, four, and six, were at home constantly, you know, on top of my head. Um, so building this, you know, this the, the market stage, building the business, talking to our partners, our stakeholders, it was very difficult doing it from home. But again, at the end of the day, it, I think it probably created more opportunities for us than challenges. Yeah, and obviously the everyone was home and wanting, you know, interest, not traveling and wanting interesting goods. So I'm sure, like, you know, it was kind of a good time in that way as well. So between identifying artisans and buying and shipping products globally, launching an e-commerce based business like the Nopo, it requires a lot of capital. So how did you guys get started? Did you self-fund? Did you raise money? You know, how did that whole piece of the business work? Yeah. So um, we bootstrapped for quite a while. We invested out of pocket and really we just did everything our own from designing the platform to sourcing the artisans, to onboarding the artisans, to writing the content in the magazine, to taking pictures. I mean, we did everything on our own because you know, we just couldn't afford anything else. But I think at the end of the day, it also really gave us this firsthand experience in all the different aspects of the business. And now when we are hiring or using more advanced tools, we have so much clarity in terms of what we need to automate, what we need to optimize. And if we would have hired people from the very first day to do that for us, we wouldn't have had that clarity. I mean, it's a hard route to take and you have to make sure that your family um, is in a place that can really manage this. At the end of the day, I think that scrappy mindset creates a lot of creativity and is super helpful in the long term. Absolutely. And moving forward, what are your plans for funding as you continue to grow the business, add new countries, add more artisans to the platform? So first of all, I'm happy to say that today we just finalized our pre-seed round about $1 million. Oh, so that was exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we plan on fundraising, our, our, going to institutional fundraising probably around March of next next year um, in terms of artisans. So, I mean, we're growing pretty quickly. We have to make sure that we're, you know, not growing our supply base in a way that, you know, doesn't correlate with the demand. So we have to do it very carefully. And we're still trying to maintain this selectivity and making sure that we're bringing on the right people to the platform. Um, in terms of destinations right now, so as you mentioned, Colombia, we just launched, Israel's later on this year, and we are looking to hear from our customers and saying, from you know, where they're interested in traveling in the world and, and opening destinations also uh, according to that. There's one long-standing holiday tradition that I continue to lean into, and that's investing in new cozy pajama sets for the season. I love a chill weeknight in, and with the fire crackling and a classic holiday movie queued up, wearing a new set of pajamas just brings the whole mood together, creating the covetable cozy vibe. But these days, the pajamas I typically search for don't don a reindeer or snowflake like you'd expect. I love a more subtle holiday acknowledgement so I can wear them confidently into the new year. Deep, vibrant colors, funky eclectic prints, and soft fabrics are must-haves, so I'm going straight to the place that has it all. My favorite luxury sleepwear brand, Print Fresh. 
Print Fresh is a woman-owned and operated business. Yes. Focused on size, inclusivity, and sustainability. I'm always searching for powerful women-led businesses, and Print Fresh is one I'm happy to support. Each piece is designed in-house and handcrafted by socially and environmentally conscious partners in India who screen print by hand. Sizes range from petite to extra small to 6X, and each design is available in all gender silhouettes, so anyone can find their perfect fit. I am obsessed with all of Printfresh's whimsical patterns, plants, and animals. My favorite colorway this year is the classic leopard Bagheera in sapphire. The blue is super rich, and the leopard print makes me feel luxurious. I even have a matching eye mask because all the pieces are made with 100% organic cotton, making them so, so, so soft. So catch me on the couch with a cup of hot cocoa, cozied up in the pattern of the season. And join in my tradition. With Sizes for All, order your favorite pattern with free and fast shipping. Head to printfresh.com and use code PARTY for 15% off your order. That's printfresh.com, PARTY for 15% off your order. So what is your five-year, 10-year vision for the Nopo? Like when you look at it, what do you want it to be? So I'd say, first of all, for me, I want it to be the preferred platform for any exceptional artisan around the world when they're launching their international career, when they're launching their business. They'll think, you know, do I want to build my own website? Do I want to use some other platform? It'll be very clear to them that Nopo is the solution that will allow them in under an hour to open up a shop to the world and really removing from their shoulders all the burdens of of running an international e-commerce business. So, and I think, you know, Platforms out there today have done a really good job in democratizing e-commerce and in the way that it really is so much more simple opening up a website today. But in actuality, it's really solving a very small part of the problem because it's one thing to build a beautiful storefront online, but then you have to get people to walk by that store. And once they're in there and they made a transaction, you have to make sure that you can, you know, you can manage all the logistics and customer support about that. You want to make sure that you're able to communicate the value of the products that you're creating in a way. And, and this is all the, you know, all the problems or all the barriers that I mentioned in the beginning that are so problematic and that we're trying to solve. So definitely we want to be the number one platform for any aspiring um, artisan um, in the world that really can deliver high quality products and really solving all of their problems from, you know, synchronization of point of sales to inventory, to even creating their own logo, uh, really providing an end-to-end solution to all their needs and wants. I love that. And, you know, you're part of a new wave of leadership that is really showing it's possible to do good, be good and be profitable at the same time. So what are some of the challenges that come with the responsibility of building this mission based business that has social impact at its core? That's a global business. Like what are some of the responsibilities you're finding yourself challenged with or even excited about? I think probably the the most important thing is just finding the right partners along the way that are just as motivated and driven by the same, you know, ideas that you are bigger. We get the more hiring we do, you know, when we start fundraising from institutional, you really have to make sure that the partners that are, are, are joining you on this journey are just as committed to these ideas. Um, right now we're at a place where, you know, it's really a privilege where we really can make sure every part of the way that we are managing that very delicate balance between doing good and doing well. And I know that as we scale, that's going to be something that is, we're going to have to be so much more focused and much more aware. So you mentioned you have a co-founder. Um, it sounds like you guys went to business school together. So tell us about, you know, finding the right co-founder, finding the right partner, how you guys make it work. What are some of the lessons you've learned along the way? I think this is a question we get asked quite a bit. So I won the lottery when it comes to my co-founder. And I think that that's probably the most important thing. It is such a hard journey and you really want to make sure you have the right person with you 
So first of all, I think you want to make sure that your co-founder has the same sort of mindset, the same ability to, you know, jump up when things go, you know, wrong, the same grit, the same drive, the same hunger, because it's really hard pushing yourself through this journey. You don't want to be pushing anybody else. And so I really lucked out with Shani. Shani is amazing. She really compliments me in many ways. We were friends. So when we both went to the executive MBA program, Northwestern University, they have a, a joint program with Tel Aviv University. And it was kind of like a love at first sight. We were really very drawn to each other. We were both the aspiring entrepreneurs in the room, but we were working on very different ideas at the time. Um, she was much more focused on D2C and I was much more focused on experiences and networks and communities. And so it just didn't seem possible at the time to, to work together. And so for about a year, we were each working on our different ideas with different teams, but becoming each other's confidants in the process and really learning how each one deals with all the challenges of the entrepreneurial world. So when we finally, the idea of the notebook came along and it really took our passions and our skill sets and combined it so nicely, we really, really had a lot of insight who the other person is and, you know, what it is to like to work with that person. And I mean, it's amazing. We're, we're so fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. So you just closed your pre-seed round. Congratulations. What were some of the lessons you learned in sort of raising that pre-seed? You know, what were some of the challenges you faced and or some of the things that you overcame? So, I mean, first of all, in terms of like the telling your story, I mean, this is very dynamic. And I think, you know, after a year and a half, we've become really good at telling our story, but the way you get better is by sharing it and talking about it and exposing it even before it's really ready um, so really just bring it out to the world and talking to people. I think that that's one of the, the most important lessons. And I think the second is, is really try to identify who are the right kind of partners for you. You don't want to be wasting time um, and energy on partners that are just, they're not going to see things the way you do. And it can be very demoralizing and mostly just take a lot of your time. Like every session that you have, whether it's with an angel investor or a VC, you know, if they're not going to see things the same way, if they're not committed to the same ideas, if they don't have experience in, in the industry that you have experience, they're just, it's, it's not going to work. And it's just going to be a complete waste of time. So make sure you have maybe someone that can help you map out the different people that you want to reach out to and, you know, eliminate those that you think are not going to be the right kind of partners. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back now, obviously having launched, now you raised your um, pre-seed round, you know, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back to, you know, your early twenties, beginning of your career? I mean, I think really it's just understanding that there's a time for everything. And when the timing is right, then everything, all the pieces are going to fall together. And um, you have to have that confidence that, you know, if you know what you want to get and you know the general direction of where you're going, you're, you're going to be able to find it. You just have their timing is really a lot of it. So I think that was probably the, the most important lesson. Hey guys, I'm so excited to give a shout out to today's work party sponsor, Olive in June. Does anyone else feel like their manicures are always growing out overnight and you just don't feel quite as put together or polished until you're able to get them fixed? I get it. It's tough staying on top of appointments with such a busy schedule. But having my nails manicured with bright and eye-catching colors is one of my favorite acts of self-care. So I decided to make it a personal goal to master the art of the salon perfect manicure. Olive and June is the best support system to make this goal a reality. Not only do they have over 75 covetable colors, they also offer the best products to level up your nail game at home. The Manny system came with every tool I could ever need in one simple box. 
a Manny Perfect and Cleanup Brush, acetone-free polish remover, a salon-quality nail buffer, an award-winning cuticle serum, and of course, their long-lasting nail polish. PSA, their cruelty-free and vegan polish is as strong as gel, so I never stress about chipping, and it lasts longer than normal polish. Every Manny box also includes Poppy, Olive and June's patented brush handle, which makes painting your nails easy and faster than ever before. Trust me, it's a total game changer. I'm absolutely obsessed. My nails have never looked so good, and the best part is that I painted them myself. I suggest getting the Olive and June Manny system with six polishes. I'm obsessed with their new winter shades. The nine new colors include three metallics and a super glossy top coat. I definitely plan to take the shade Bunny Slope to new altitudes this snow season. The package breaks down to just $2 a manicure. You'll save so much money and you'll never go back to paying $35 for a manicure ever again. Getting beautiful salon perfect nails at home is now a dream come true with Olive and June. Your new nail life is here. Visit oliveandjune.com slash workparty and use code workparty for 20% off your first Manny system. This is an exclusive offer just for you. You can only get it here. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash workparty, code workparty for 20% off your first Manny system. oliveandjune.com slash workparty, code workparty. Enjoy. Okay, let's wrap with some sentence finishers. I'm not productive unless my day starts with Knowing that everything with my daughters is okay, that they have their lunch, that their schedule is, you know, someone's picking them up from school, that they're happy. That's the only thing that really makes me unproductive. Uh, I understand that. Three traits that got me to where I am today are? Perseverance, for sure. The ability to bounce up very quickly after something bad happened. And I think probably um, really being stubborn about creativity, like just really, you know, not just taking the first solution in hand and really trying to be creative. Love that. Uh, the number one piece of financial advice for entrepreneurs is? Just make sure that your family is ready for, the, for this road. Fundraising can take longer than expected. We still haven't, t- we still haven't taken salaries. Um, so this is a long time managing on one salary. If your family isn't prepared, then that's going to create a lot of tension. Um, so definitely make sure that you're prepared and that you, you have that, those savings that can really take you through this period. Yeah. The financial runway is so important. A fellow entrepreneur, I would love to grab coffee with. Wow. There's so many. And I'm so glad to say that also there are so many um, women, you know, more and more women, you know, that you hear that are, you know, really being successful and, and leading their companies all the way to, to IPOs rent the runway just now. I remember reading um, a case study about them um, when we were in business school and all the challenges they had in the beginning. I think that would be really interesting for me to see, you know, I know they had a difficult year also with the pandemic because people weren't, you know, taking, you know, weren't renting luxurious dresses anymore. I think that probably them. Yeah, that'd be a good one. And the money career or leadership podcast or book I always recommend is? The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Ooh, love that. And actually, I have to say that I listened to it on Audible, all my books. I only listened to books on Audible today. Um, and uh, the guy who's narrating the book is fabulous as well. And what was it called again? The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Anne Horowitz. Ooh, I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Kelly. Can you tell all of our listeners where they can learn more about the Nopo online and on social media? Of course. So just check the nopo.com. You'll have all the information there. Our Instagram account that you can follow, uh, Pinterest, and, and of course, um, uh, sign up to our newsletter where you can get um, information about new promotions and collections. We have a lot of really exciting collaborations in the, in the near future. So 
Amazing. Yeah. And the products range from fashion to beauty to homeware. I mean, there's so many and they're all so beautiful. And I've had the opportunity to have a few in my home and I absolutely love them and get so many compliments on them. They're absolutely a conversation piece. So thank you so much for including me in the Nopo as well. Thank you, Jacqueline. It was so much fun talking with you. And um, I mean, thank you for, for really creating this space for women. I think it's so important. It's so inspiring. And I didn't mention in the beginning. I, I think it's important to hear about people's successes, but I think it's also really important to keep it real and understand the challenges of their journey before you go into this. And I think you do an excellent job showing both sides. So oh. thank you. Thank you, Kelly. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.